Well, we'll be looking again tonight at this important subject of assurance of salvation. And we've been doing so for a couple of weeks now from the letter that John writes, his first letter, 1 John, and making some progress tonight in the, in the letter. And do trusting that the time this evening would be encouraging. But also when we consider a subject like this, there ought always to be a challenge because of, of self-examination. One of the hard things to do is uh, look inward and really praying that the Spirit would search our hearts as we share together in this word tonight. Uh, Won't you bow your heads? Let's pray together and we'll take it from there. Father, we do come and uh, lay ourselves before you, understanding again that, Lord, we need you. Uh, Apart from you, Lord, we can do no good thing in bearing fruit, knowing also that even uh, understanding ourselves and and really where we are at at a particular place uh, in our standing with you, in our relationship with you, I pray that this uh, time that we spend together tonight would be of some value in confirming a particular place and leading us to assurance, a greater sense of confidence in knowing that we are indeed individually your children. But Lord, if there uh, is anybody in, in need of, of just being exposed in, in, in knowing the, the, that they have a need to come to know you in in a real and fresh way by uh, repenting from sin and placing their faith in you, would you please lead us uh, individually, Lord, each one as needed tonight uh, in that. We pray for your Spirit's work and his continuing work among us and in us uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. So 1 John chapter 2 and uh, looking tonight from verse 7 to verse 10, uh, follow with me in your Bible and uh, John writing, he says, Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. thought we would begin tonight uh, just introducing uh, this topic, uh, me sharing some uh, examples of uh, people we know in the context of any community. Uh, There are people who experience tragedy. Uh, unexpected difficulty and, and hardship. It comes in, in different ways, uh, suddenly at different times. Uh, it can be uh, illness. Uh, it sometimes comes when we are surprised in the loss of, of a loved one. Uh, sometimes it can be a surprise in the workplace. Many, many different reasons why people face hardship and, and tragedy. But what I want to really get us thinking about tonight, that there are those who have had these unexpected tragedies around us and experiencing something good from it. That which emerges in the context from the community is what what I would like us to consider 
in this introduction. We've had tragedy in our church some months ago. Uh, some of you will remember a horrible tragedy where there was a son of a member that was uh, murdered. And uh, he was stabbed uh, in the back while trying to run away from a perpetrator. And the family was in need. We shared that need on a given Sunday morning. And the response of many individual people, uh, generous in gifts, financial gifts, others coming alongside just in support and prayer, but many, many people responding in wanting to just show love toward a family in the church. Uh, that story can be repeated again and again. I move around in the church and I hear of people saying, uh, we've been so encouraged because so-and-so phoned us and asked us how we're doing. Um, uh, others will say, I've, I've received a, a, a text message from someone, a WhatsApp message. And uh, other people uh, surprised when a meal is given, uh, visits are undertaken. And, and so there, there is often opportunities, uh, evidence of people showing love to others. And the reason I'm sharing this tonight and, and the, the reason we, we get this kind of feedback and we want to share it with you is because this kind of concern is an indication that there are those in our congregation, and I'm convinced there are many in our congregation, who are providing some kind of objective, measurable evidence that they are true believers. Why, why would they do such a thing? Why, why would anybody act sacrificially or compassionately uh, in, in situations where sometimes the relationship or the knowledge of that person is, is not really a close relative or close uh, friend and all? And in uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 10, we, we have a summary statement where John says, Whoever loves his brother lives in the light. We see that at Central. And, and I know I have the opportunity as a pastor, as other pastors do, to, to hear feedback and encouraging stories of how this happens. Even in our own context at the moment, we have experienced an unusual, an, an unusual uh, concern, uh, practical help and love uh, from the congregation. And so as we go back to the context of what John is dealing with, uh, writing to this church, this group of uh, these, the, this, this group of people, there was confusion in their ranks about knowing God because there were those who had moved off. There were those who were saying that they had arrived at a, a different place, but a better place and a right place, and and so they they left uh, people feeling that they were not true believers. And so John writes this letter, and he unpacks for them in this letter, which we will see in in these coming weeks repeatedly, three different measurable tests. Now I thought maybe an illustration just to uh, make the point how important it is to test a particular uh, situation. Or, or A couple of years ago we had a family in the church, uh, they've now passed away, uh, the, the old parents, they used to invite us as a church out to their farm. And we would go out to their farm on Christmas. It was New Year's Eve. 
and they would be uh, gathering together. We'd have some fellowship. We'd have some uh, singing, and uh, and and on one of these occasions, the uh, the owner of this place brought out a horse, and spent some time giving the children opportunity to have great fun by being led around on the horse. And so as this uh, time, this afternoon wound on, eventually I thought to myself, I also would like to have a turn on the horse. And my point is this, I thought I could ride a horse. And I very confidently got onto the horse, only to find myself minutes later flung from the horse, uh, fortunately not breaking my neck, Fortunately, not breaking a leg, I, I, in falling, I somehow unhooked my foot from the stirrup. I went one way, the saddle went another way, the horse went another way, and uh, I was nearly left with a broken neck. The next morning, I saw muscles, I saw body, and, and I really thought to myself, I wish my ability to ride a horse had been tested. <laughs> you don't want to test it uh, on the occasion, on the day. And uh, I wish someone had tested my horse riding ability and I wouldn't have uh, been put in that uh, predicament or that situation. And I think just on a lighter note, I say that, but uh, more importantly, you don't want to have regret on that day when we stand before the Lord, on that day when He returns, of having to put your profession of faith to the test, only to discover that it does not pass the test. And so my first point, and much of a repeat of last time, is it is true you can put your faith to the test. Now again, uh, a couple of illustrations tonight that I'm trying to just include to make the point, is I know uh, a number of people in our church uh, who are colorblind, and in my own research, I discovered three different types of color blindness that people experience. But there's one condition that, of, of color blindness that really makes me nervous. And let me read uh, just the definition of this. Uh, uh, the, this particular condition is called deuteranopia. So people with this deuteranopia lack medium wavelength retinal cones and are therefore also unable to distinguish between colors. Now listen to this. In the green, yellow, red section of the spectrum. So a person with this condition perceives that green, yellow and red are the same color. So I would not want to entrust my life to that person's perception while driving around in a car hoping that they would guess uh, the robot is either red, green, or orange. So the subjective perception is not something that can be trusted. It's not something that can be relied upon. And again, in the same way, you can see why it is foolish to entrust your eternal well-being to some kind of subjective perception, some kind of experience, some kind of feeling that you may have or had in the past. Instead, what John does is he brings to us in this letter tests and he unpacks them as 
being more reliable than the subjective test, more reliable than a subjective perception of thinking, of, of just hoping that I am a believer, but these tests are objective that we can actually test ourselves against it. And just a couple of comments about this test. The three knowing God tests can in fact confirm when used together, we shouldn't use one in isolation, use each of these tests and, 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 and uh, combine the result as it were. And, and that can confirm or not confirm whether you're truly born again of the Spirit. The consequence of that is if these three tests are correctly applied and you measure up in terms of the objective standard, it can give you a great sense of uh, personal assurance of salvation, confidence in your relationship and your standing with God. Very, very importantly, these tests properly applied will free you from being deceived from a condition that might not be true conversion. Maybe a comment about God's compassion. Isn't it great that God actually provides, very compassionately, tests that can be applied, that have been applied, and in fact will be applied down through the ages to believers of any age, uh, generation, uh, culture? Look at the tests. See how you measure up. Reach a conclusion about your standing and, and therefore your assurance of faith. Well, my second point then is this then is how you put your faith to the test. And we're going to have a look uh, at, a, uh, the, well, two tests tonight. I first want to go back to the first one, just as a reminder, the first test that we identified last week. I used the um, uh, John Stott's phrase, moral obedience, as identifying the first test. And, 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 and the verse that directly speaks to that is verse 4. From chapter 2, the man who says, I know him. Do you get the, the idea? Profession of faith. I'm in a relationship with God. I'm going to heaven. I know him. But he says, the man who says that but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. So the first test is that of checking for a godly lifestyle. Now again, I need to say tonight, I'm not suggesting perfection. That's not going to happen. There's only one perfect man, and that's the Lord Jesus. We, we are growing in sanctification, but there needs to be, the first thing that there needs to be in any one of our lives, those of us who are professing Christians, is some measure of, of holiness, of righteousness. If we claim to be, God, uh, to be God's children, there needs to be change that has been brought about after our conversion, aligning us more with the will and the way of God. A desire to obey God. A willingness to delight and, and please God. So anyone, says John, who claims to know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. There's no such thing as a Christian who says, I've, uh, I'm a believer because I've committed my life to Jesus, but, but there's no evidence of submission and obedience, alignment uh, to what is pleasing to Jesus. In fact, there's something drastically wrong with any kind of profession that cannot be supported by accompanying evidence 
of obedience. Obedience to God's revealed will. And so the first bit of essential evidence, just by way of revision, is that of a godly lifestyle. And, and so we need to ask. I have to ask myself. You need to ask yourself. Does your life reflect in some measure a godliness? Not what I want. What does God want? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Praying that prayer, living that prayer, day in, day out. And when we do fail, we go back. Do not sin, but if we do sin, we have an advocate. We understand that. We get back uh, up there uh, pursuing this godly lifestyle. But tonight, our verses before us and uh, the second test, my next point, check for loving relationships. Relationships are crucial. The first test of moral obedience, and I want us to see this, is very general and very broad. It includes all the commands of God, and there are many commands uh, uh, expressing uh, the will of God, the way of God, that which is pleasing to God. It's, it's, it's from the beginning of the Bible in Genesis right back uh, to the end of the Bible in Revelation. So that's the first test of obedience or godliness. But now in the second test... John raises just one, one very specific command. And dear friends, it is the command to love. It's about relationships. Are you someone who loves other people? Not only the people immediately around you. We're speaking primarily tonight in the context of the local church. Are you someone who loves others? Just to take it a step further, uh, exploring this idea of checking for loving relationships, I want to move on to a point or a heading uh, that I've called Loving Relationships Explained. We need to uh, meditate on this. We need to explore it. So uh, John says to his recipients, to this audience, this command to love is an old command. You know that. It was in existence a long time ago, long before the coming of Christ. And and if we go back into the Old Testament in its simplest form, uh, one particular example in Leviticus 19 verse 18, uh, we read there, do not seek revenge or listen to this Christian people, uh, pastors, uh, members, professing Christians, do not bear a grudge against one of your people, But love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That is the old command. It's already been given. It's been established. And so this is the verse, remember, that Jesus referred to when he was asked on that occasion, which is the first and the greatest commandment? And we all know so well the response of Jesus, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind. He doesn't stop there. He goes on and he says, but the second is To love your neighbor as yourself. So John is reminding these folk, uh, this particular test, uh, loving relationships ought to characterize the people of God as a group, the people of God as individuals, an old command that they had known, that we have known 
already reading way back in the Old Testament. So in verse 7, dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one which you've had since the beginning. And the old command is the message you have heard. But then he goes on and he says, and what's more, it is also a new command. Verse 8, yet I'm writing you a new command. Now remember, John had been subjected to the, to, to the teaching of Jesus, uh, following him, being with him. And we have a record of, of, of one of those uh, particular teachings in John chapter 13, verse 34. We used to sing a chorus along these lines. A new command I give you, love one another. And then he carries on. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What was Jesus doing? He was giving to his disciples, John is reinforcing that, a richer and deeper understanding of this concept, this expression of love amongst the community of faith. And so let's uh, just give you a couple of comments about this. First of all, it, it, was a, it was new in the emphasis that he gave it. What does he do with this command? He ties it with the greatest commandment. And he brings together Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with Leviticus 19, verse 18. He puts them together and he says, you know, these two commands, everything else hangs on the two of them. Loving God, vertical relationship. Loving your neighbor, horizontal relationship. It sums it all up. And so he, he, he gives us this, this high priority, this emphasis on loving one another. But then it, it also helps us, or he helps us to see that, that uh, this love, this new commandment to love, ex expresses something of the quality that he gave it. Quality that we only understand and see when we look at Jesus and, and, and the, ultimately the culmination of the work of Jesus on the cross. It's on the cross that we see an expression of this quality of love that surpasses understanding, that surpasses knowledge. And the extent and the quality of God's love is, is, is seen in that it's selfless. It's not just about the individual. It's selfless and it's sacrificial. Sacrificial. Even unto death. While we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Expression of God's love. John 3.16 For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Do you see the sacrificial selflessness? The kind of love that is unnatural. Because you see, we can be like the rest of the world and have a, a, a express a kind of a love that, that, that always brings benefit or selfish benefit. Or, or we can be characterized by this this new kind of love or this, this love that Jesus says is a new command which belongs to those who have become believers who is characteristic or should be characteristic of those who become believers. It's unnatural for the people in the world. In fact, if I could say, I think very often these declarations that people make of loving each other when they hardly know each other is just superficial and weak. I don't like it. There needs to be substance. And I want to give you an example. And I hope my daughters don't get upset with me. But many years ago, my daughter was given a puppy. It was a beautiful little puppy. And she loved her puppy dearly. 
She was very outspoken and she was telling everybody, would tell everybody, that she has the most wonderful puppy. She loves her puppy and the puppy's name was Lucy. It wasn't very long. I think it was months or maybe one or two years. But our neighbor, our neighbor's dog then had puppies. And our daughter's two girls wanted one of the puppies. And the reason is because they were so cute. Can't we have another puppy? Can't we have a puppy, please? They're so cute. They're so wonderful. So I said to them, they couldn't have a puppy because they already have a dog of their own. You won't believe this. Their solution was, let's put the dog down. Superficial love, you see. But it didn't end there. That's not what worried me. Because... The same daughter, this little girl who's now grown up, expressed her love to me as well on a particular occasion. And she said, Daddy, I love you as much as I love the puppies. And I froze in my steps. And I immediately wondered when consideration would be given that I should be put down. You see, superficial love, that's not what John is speaking about. It's not what God gives us and wants us to express. It's deeper it's richer, it's fuller, it's from Him. The Spirit of God at work in us as new creatures in Christ. Natural love is fickle and selfish. I don't want that dog, I want this dog. Or I love you to bits and and, and next week I walk past you and I don't even look at you. That's not love, that's not love, that's rubbish. But let me also add, it was new in the extent that Jesus gave it. The natural expression of love, I think, seldom extends beyond a few close family and friends. But this kind of love that has been spoken of over here goes and extends to the nations of the world. And we can see that, and it's wonderful to see it in the local church where we see people who would, who would not normally have friendships, who would not normally spend time with each other, who would not normally reach out to one another. But the extent of this love goes beyond that which is just selfish and with us in the immediate. You know, Jesus uh, spoke in that parable. Remember the, good, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the point, one of the points he was trying to make there in any case is that the neighbor, the neighbor on your road traveling Jericho to Jerusalem or wherever you are to, wherever you go, is you will encounter people. You will encounter people in the local church, people who sit around you, close to you, the chair in front of you, the chair next to you. You'll go to Bible study with people. You'll be involved with people in, in youth or King's Rubies or, or Frontline. Well, those are the people that you ought to Show love towards. 1 John chapter 2 verse 8. Uh, yet I'm not writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you. Because the darkness is passing and the true light is already coming. Already shining. So what do we see here? We're seeing something of this. If I could use the technical term. The communicable attribute of God being shed abroad in the hearts and lives of those who are his children. She leads me to my next point, and I've simply called it loving relationships applied. 
And we are given three examples in this passage presented so that this test of love may be applied very specifically. The first one I have called professions without love. Verse 9, anyone who claims to be in the light, I'm a Christian, I'm a member of the Central Baptist Church, and I lead a particular ministry, but I can't stand that brother, can't stand that sister, but hates his brother, he's still in the darkness. Professions of faith, on the one hand, and acts and expressions of hatred are incompatible. You don't need a degree in Greek to understand and interpret that particular verse. It's straightforward. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. And so there is that question that we need to ask ourselves. Are there those people within the fellowship that we simply hate or despise and and that characterizes our life other than one or two people that we think we might like or we want to be with the rest we can't stand their guts something wrong with the profession of faith professions of faith without love are useless and meaningless Uh, just to quote a theologian by the name of Plummer he puts it like this The light in a man is darkness until it is warmed by love. Maybe I'll read that again. The light in a woman is darkness until it is warmed by love. The second application, actions speak louder than words. So we're now given a positive example of uh, somebody who has been truly converted, somebody who is a believer, and, and this Profession of faith is exposed by the way this person behaves. Verse 10, whoever loves his brother lives in the light. And there is nothing in him to make him stumble. The characteristic of this particular person is that she, he must be a believer because there's this evidence of love, engagement, Involvement, concern, compassion, generosity toward other people. The genuineness of his faith or her faith is seen in his right relationship to God, but also to men and women. Right, the last one, uh, last application, hatred exposes the heart. How do we know what's inside of our hearts? Well, Uh, Can you determine whether you are a new creature in Christ? And John says, yes, uh, let's have a look at verse 11. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. You see how important this relationship thing is? Our attitude, our action, our behavior toward other people exposes the condition, the true condition of the heart. Is it still a hard heart or is it a heart of flesh? I want to conclude and just make a couple of comments that I think we must bear in mind. It's not an easy thing to live in community. I'm talking about a crowd like a local church where we have people of different ages, uh, different cultures, uh, 
people who are so different and, and some of us uh, still have some rough edges. If you haven't discovered it yet, we don't all think alike. We don't all have the same background. We don't all like the same things. Some of us are a bit like oddbods. Uh, some of us can be a bit quirky. Some of us have some strange personality or habits. Some people can be a pain in the neck. I think we need to recognize that this, that's us. Not, I'm not pointing at me, quirky, odd, I'm, I think uh, I'm told. Um, but my point is this. Nowhere in this passage does John include exception clauses. He doesn't say you don't have to love Peter because he has a big jaw. You don't have to love Mary because she's lazy. Or you don't have to love Zacchaeus because he's a tax collector. True believers, those who know God, those who have been born again of the Spirit, do not continue in the pathway of hatred in their hearts toward others. And so, folks, this is, this is a challenging test. It's a challenging test. The first test in terms of a moral obedience, a godly lifestyle in the broader context of what God commands and what is pleasing to Him. The second test, very specific, very measurable, objectively measurable in the way that we relate to other people. Ask God to search your heart. I'm doing that and it's challenging. And so, Lord, I do pray that you would help us, uh, keep us, Lord, from being blind to our own condition, if it is so. Uh, and Lord, transparency before you, uh, praying that more and more you would give us a heart for each other, helping us, Lord, indeed to love one another, even as you have loved us. So bless us, Lord, help us as a church. May we continue to be and to grow a church that demonstrates the evidence of those who are truly born again of the Spirit. As we pray this, Lord, in your name and that you would be exalted, that people would see the evidence of grace in an individual's life because they love their brothers. Amen. There are some questions just uh, on the screen. Uh, Jamie will put them up and uh, take a photograph of those snapshot. Do trust you have a good week. God bless you. And may we love one another in the context of the church in an unnatural way. A way that points to God. Amen.